Hi, this is Chris Heineken, CEO of Atrium, bringing you interviews with a diverse mix of industry and technology leaders. With our Inside Track interview series, we invite different thought leaders to discuss their expertise around modernizing technical platforms and being more data-driven, especially in an age where corporate winners and losers are defined by customer experience. Today, I want to welcome Latney Conant, a special guest on the podcast, not only because of your perspective, but you are an advisor to Atrium and how we approach the market. So thank you for joining us, Latney. I'm an Atrium OG. You are. Um, so first question, let's get started by having you tell us about your background. Sure. So I um, I had the honor and privilege of working with almost all of Atrium's founding members and team at, at Aperio for a number of years in sales and, and in marketing. And then about five years ago, um, I joined a company called Six Sense um, as the chief market officer. And Six Sense has been a really interesting company. Uh, it was founded about 10 years ago to answer one question. And that question was, gosh, wouldn't sales and marketing be so much easier if we knew when people were ready to buy? It would just make this whole thing so much easier. Um, so kind of a simple question, but really hard to solve. And so we built a, a big data platform um, to be able to bring in you know, tons of different data sources. We um, learned how to track um, anonymous buying behavior. We call that the dark funnel. So we were able to light the dark funnel. Um, and we built a bunch of proprietary models all to be able to answer that one question. Um, but in answering that question, it was a really great starting place, Chris, because uh, we've been able to go on and answer a lot of other other questions. You know, uh, is this a good account for you to sell to? Who are the right people to talk to? What should you say? What's their contact data? What are their top keywords? What's the recommended um, next best action? Um, so it, it, it's been a really fun journey and been able to add a lot of value to sale, B2B sales and, and marketing professionals, all you know, using really interesting use cases for AI. Well, those questions you were just uh, asking there, a lot of the market that we talk to is asking those very questions. So I want to dig in a little bit more, but before... We talked to you about your perspective around Sixth Sense and the market. A couple more just getting to know you questions. Um, we love to ask our guests, what's your favorite book or movie that involves data? I don't know if it's, well, I love Moneyball, of course. Yes, um, I like that one. And I don't know if it's data, but it's definitely math and advanced math. But Goodwill Hunting is also an awesome you know, where he, he solves all That's a throwback. Things. I like it. We haven't heard that yeah. one. Yeah, that's a really good one too. Good. And then um, another one, just getting to know you. I I tend to skew more on the excited end of the spectrum around generative AI. Um, do you have a favorite business or personal use case that you stumbled upon around ChatGPT recently? Well, I'll tell you this, we're not, we're, I'm not using it to make, um, you know, images of dolphins and chainsaws on a beach, you know, making <laughs> coffee. Um, you know, we see it as a pretty 
significant path forward for um, what I call B2B marketing and sales inflation, uh, which is same team, same resources, maybe less. And it's a lot harder to get deals done um, and, and pipeline built. I mean, we see four and five times um, the number of activities required. We see a 50% increase in buying team sizes. So, um, you know, we looked around in January and, you know, I looked at the team who, you know, we're coming off a pandemic, we're coming off homeschooling, we're coming off, you know, multiple pivots, political uncertainty, a war, and, you know, asking people to work another weekend or maybe stay a couple hours late, you know, we're already working so hard. I, I just don't see that as the answer. So we've uh, we've taken a very aggressive stance on, um, on how we'd use generative. And I would say, you know, my favorite use case right now is uh, we have an AI assistant that generates 10% of our pipeline right now. Um, comes through, comes through that. And one of, one of my favorite campaigns is called awaken the dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's for, um, opportunities that we didn't end up winning, um, for a number of reasons, um, you know, that happens and every three months we go back and we say, Hey, just checking in, how you guys doing? Um, can we rekindle conversation? Um, and that all happens through um, an AI assistant that can write emails, read emails, respond to emails, book meetings, follow up. Um, that's great. And so that's one of our favorite plays right now. There's so many naming opportunities for your Awaken the Dead assistants. I know. <laughs> I know. We, we'll come up with. We really need a more politically correct name for it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, the the generative AI space is just fascinating. It I'm starting to, you know, use it as an editor, as a travel assistant, um, seeing some amazing things with our customers. It's, it's interesting to think about just in our consulting business when um, you know a lot of the business models in consulting are based on the hours in a day. What does it mean when everybody's that much more productive? Same thing goes for our software platform partners who have a ton of uh, business models, you know, built around monetizing named users and what happens when those named users get twice as productive. Um, the, I think the move towards like consumption-based pricing is going to get really important and interesting. So, so many cool things going on there. Let's, I'll, I'll close out with a question for you on generative AI, but let's go to more about Sixth Sense and your perspective on the market. So give us, you, you got a little bit into it. Give us the vision for uh, Sixth Sense and where it stacks up in the whole uh, set of platforms around CRM, front office, marketing. Yeah, so um, if you think about it, you know, your your CRM is, is all of, uh, opportunity tracking, uh, some contact data management as well, um, important stuff. Um, and then you have a marketing automation solution, um, which is a lot of uh, contact data, uh, data tracking. Um, and that's that's great. Um, and those are great for known engagement and uh, and and you know, known activity. But if you think about selling and marketing, um, 
depending on the stat du jour, there's all these buyers on a buying team and 90% of their activity is anonymous. So we actually did some research recently and we looked at website traffic. We looked at all different sizes of companies, all different verticals, all different levels of traffic. And regardless of any of that, only 3% of website visitors fill out a form, 3%. So what about the other 97? You know, what about the other 97 um, that are coming to your website, that are going to review sites to, to learn about you, that are going to other like third-party um, sites that are consuming content about you? You know, that's where all the action is happening. And so what Sixth Sense does is we take your known data, um, so your CRM data, your map data, you know, your known engagement data, and we marry it with our data lake of um, anonymous data. So then all of a sudden you have this 360 degree view of what they're doing, you know, what they're telling you they're doing, but also what they're doing, um, you know, on other websites and even on your own website. Um, and that that's somewhat interesting, just, just being able to like bring all that data together. Um, but what's more interesting is then we can start to look at patterns because we're bringing in closed opportunities. We're bringing in successful campaigns and we can start to say, what does an ideal customer look like for you? What does an ideal buying team look like for you? Um, and then what I get really excited about and kind of live and die by in, in our business and what I wrote the book about and what our customers um, all use is this ability to show like where a prospect is in their journey and then be able to run the right tactic, the right message um, at the right time. And so our platform allows us to kind of orchestrate all these different plays because we know exactly where an account is in their journey because of this model that's taking in all this data and saying, Atrium is about to open an opportunity. They are in market. Um, Whereas, you know, Blue Wolf or somebody, they're under a rock. Don't pay attention to them. And so it pr provides this awesome prioritization for sales and marketing. Um, and it it's really needed. You know, I, I talked about the stat yeah. about only 3% of website visitors filling out a form or revealing themselves. Um, we have a similar study. About 10% of your TAM is in market for what you do at any given time. Sadly, though, most companies of that 10%, 80% is not in their CRM. So they have no, they don't have that account in their CRM. They don't have their contacts. So talk about like what a big waste that is. So it's pretty important, you know, we think for people to be able to see who's in market, get their CRM enriched, get, get those accounts prioritized. Um, since we know that they convert you know, 20% better at two times ASPs. So you're only seeing like 20% of the prospects out there that are in market. There's another 80% that is kind of a, you call it like the dark pipeline. I'm not sure if that's the same thing, but it feels like huge yeah. opportunity there. Huge, huge. We actually did a study with BCG and there's about $2 trillion of waste across B2B sales and marketing that we believe can be addressed with AI. Well, the other thing that comes to mind too is um, 
I, I've seen pictures of these market maps, these technology platform maps of all the marketing auto automation platforms and vendors that are out there. It's, it's, you're in a very special space um, addressing a, a, a need that is significant. There's a lot of others out there. It's noisy. It's crowded. Do you, do you expect um, it to stay that way? Or do you think there's going to be some more consolidation? Um, curious your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, we're seeing a couple things. Um, we're certainly seeing consolidation um, and actually leading consolidation, I would say, but it's more on the data side. So, um, you know, uh, being able to, for example, like a lot of, a lot of companies have two, three, four, five different contact data providers. Um, so how do we consolidate that for them? Yep. You know, they have a different provider for technographic than they do firmographic, demographic. And so they're they're kind of having to take all of these different, A, it's expensive to bring all this different data to the table. And B, then they've got to pay, you know, a big staff to be able to get it in the CRM, correct it, do do anything with it. And so, you know, step one for us is to be able to say, hey, you don't, you don't need hundreds of, or, you know, or a handful of data providers, it, we can really provide all, all the most relevant data required for, for B2B right now. Um, and, and our specialty, our heritage is in that, you know, dark funnel, like intent and, and, and things like that, which people find very, very interesting. Um, and then we have a lot of like, bring your own license agreements so that if you do want a specialized data source, like a G2, um, like Bombora, which is another form of intent data, that's fine. You know, we we will bring that into the model, um, but you don't have to deal with bringing it into the model. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so and so that's big. That's a big play for us. Um, on the app side, you know, we we roll up a bunch of different apps. You know, advertising. So you know, because you want to be able to add. Like I think a lot of. Um, Core AI platforms fell down, and I think it's why the the category of predictive analytics ended up kind of dying. Mm -hmm. um, you know, five or six years ago, uh, because the predictive analytics companies didn't build execution into into the model. You know, uh, that's great. The accounts and market. What what do we do? Right. Right. And so what we've done is we've built inherent execution onto the school, like, okay, great. You know, so, so now a marketer can say, you know, if it's this type of account, it's just showing this type of activity, run these ads. And we've been able to, again, integrate with, you know, we're not going to be LinkedIn and no one's going to compete with LinkedIn advertising, but that doesn't mean you can't set up and do all of your LinkedIn advertising through six ads. You know, you can, and, and we integrate with Facebook and then we have our own display network. Um, we, we then added like a sales intelligence application so that all the scores go to sales and then they can go and work their accounts and it's right in their CRM. So we're not saying go salesperson, log in to six cents. They don't even know it's six cents and we don't care. They're yeah. going into the, you know, we, we want to be where, especially on the sales side, we want to be where salespeople work, which is typically their CRM. And if maybe if they're a hardcore prospector, it, it could be like their sales engagement platform, like an outreach or a sales loft. But, you know, our data is is in all of those places where- So 
That's that's great walkthrough. It sounds like where your mind goes with that market map is first. It's kind of like data platform consolidation. That's where yeah. where your head is. Okay, yeah. understood. And so you you've been with Sixth Sense for just about five years, and I'm curious how um, the market has evolved. So you kind of reference that with you know predictive has been around for a while, but then it it kind of hasn't really delivered as much on the promise because there's no actionability around it. So now everybody's kind of fusing together the next best action with their platforms. I'm curious, how have you observed the evolution of your customers um, in the market and the use cases they're solving for it? Have those changed significantly in the last five years or is it um, kind of more of the same, still solving the same set of problems? So, you know, when I first started at Sixth Sense, we made the pivot from predictive analytics to an account-based marketing platform, um, which again, provided marketing actionability um, and, and provided that, you know, uh, that, that, that use case. Um, we then saw that, you know, for sales and marketing to be effective and use data effectively, they, they, there needs to be a sales use case. Um, so we quickly added that sales intelligence use case. Um, and, and it's really all around um, prioritizing prospecting, prioritizing uh, target lists for sales, um, and you know, making sure you're capturing the, the most winnable accounts and contacts right now. Um, so that's been, you know, even lead scoring is, yep. is something that we do to make sure that, you know, you're getting the right leads, um, segmentation. So th those have kind of been our, our bread and butter. I think what's interesting is um, two years ago, we announced at our customer conference that we see a big opportunity to disrupt email because... Um, we had actually been, you know, over, you know, two and a half years ago, experimenting with chat, uh, GPT and, and generative AI. And what we saw was that everybody in the email game was focused on sending the email uh, and, and managing sending the email. And, and any type of personalization in the email was almost just like a mail merge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you look at like sales engagement platforms, it's like a little more sophisticated mail merge because it's snippets and it's not just email, it's managing other tasks. Um, but we thought, gosh, you know, email is still the primary language of B2B. What is the opportunity to, to do something really different with helping people write better emails? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be pretty cool? And so, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, we announced, um, you know, our AI assistant product, which is all about, um, again, we have so much great data in Sixth Sense. We know the top keywords. We know the, you know, what you visited on, on the website. We know that, you know, your head of sales is doing this activity and maybe your head of marketing is doing another, like, what an opportunity sitting on all that rich data to actually start to write better, more relevant emails. Um, and so that's kind of what we see as the next disruption um, to, to, to our space. Yep. In, a, in addition to 
And that's probably more on the marketing side. And then on the sales side, it, it's less of a disruption. Like contact data is not very sexy at all, Like, but you have to have it, you know? Um, and there's kind of been one gig in town. Um, and so, you know, we think that we can do it more accurately, um, connected to all of this AI that we're talking about. So, so that, that's kind of the disruption we see on the sales side is like kind of going after the, the, the legacy player in that space. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about just success. Cause you talked about, um, your, um, your, your customer, um, your customer world, your, your trade show that you have for all of the six cents customers. Um, if you think about the ones, uh, the companies that you're working with that are the best in the world at this, at solving this problem, um, anything jump out to you as far as the key ingredients that they share in common? I think it's a real commitment to a data-driven approach and and enabling workflows off of the data. And so, so I guess I'm going to answer the question a different way. Where, where I see people fall down is they buy a bunch of data. They buy, you know, maybe some AI, they, maybe they have their own a, people doing AI models, but they don't really think about the workflow that, that they expect sales and marketing teams to use, or, or how, how does that data get actually applied? Um, and so we spend a lot of time thinking about how we enable that workflow. And that's what, what, what our best clients do is they say, you know, we're not going to just tell sales, these accounts are in market, who cares? We're going to actually have an SLA that an account in market gets reached out to within two hours, you know, th things like that. It's like, um, just making it like very, very process driven. Um, and then I think like another thing our best customers do is they're just very transparent. You know, we, we show our model metrics and, and all of that right in the platform. And it's like, you know, they're, they're very transparent about looking at that, looking at the value that's being generated. Um, they're able to talk to that um, and talk about like the math behind it. You know, I think that, and I think you've said this before, Chris, like, like the whole thing with Moneyball was buying, was buying runs and you're not going to get a run every time, but, but the odds will kind of play out. Right. And so sometimes, especially with a sales use case of applying AI, salespeople are biased to negative. So you send them nine great opportunities and one bad one. And they think the whole thing sucks, <laughs> even though it's 90% accurate, right? So, so you have to be able to really articulate the actual behind the score. Like this is what the AI is looking at. This is how the scores get calculated, like no black box. And if you were right. Mr. AE, if you were, if you saw all these signals and how, the, wouldn't you think that? Oh yeah, I would think that too. Okay. Right. So it's like people need to understand some of the mechanics of how it, it's working so that they then start to trust the odds. Um, because just humans were biased to negative. That's 
That's how we, I shouldn't say just salespeople, all humans. Right, right. So it sounds like the the customers that are really successful for you have a good understanding of the workflow, um, as well as, again, the math behind it, the um, the 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 inputs and and how you're deriving some of the scoring is very transparent to the point where you can it, it's explainable right or and we have an, we have a whole visual it's an yeah. iframe they can see like oh why did this do oh i saw this and i see it spike here and there yep. and, but yeah it's very very transparent which all gets to like trust so they've been able to find a way to kind of trust what the um the algorithms are guiding them to do um, so that hits on, it seems like you're hitting on like the human factors is a big part of, of the success criteria for your install base. Yes. It's outstanding. Yes. Um, one more question for you, Latney, and you kind of already spoke a little bit about it, but, you know, generative AI is very much top of mind for us. Um, you mentioned, like, I'm just kind of curious where you see some of the use cases evolving in the marketing space. You mentioned content around email. Um, any others that come to mind? Yeah. So I put a goal. I mean, again, we had this kind of aha moment around, gosh, we're, we're not, this is not sustainable. We have to really rethink how we work and, and we, and generative is going to be a big part of how our team reimagines how we work. And, um, and we looked at we we looked at obviously at our own product. We we always want to use our own products to the fullest. And so we're doing a lot of work around our outbound motion and you know, how do we help our BDRs write better emails? Um, how do we how do we streamline the workflow, consolidating data sources and stuff so that it doesn't take, you know, 10 or 12 minutes to research and get an email out? They can do it in three. Um so, so a lot of work around that and that's, uh, and then, you know, spinning up these plays that really address what, you know, we have another one called free money, which is, um, you know, things that we would have disqualified um, that, you know, maybe with a little more qualification, it does turn out to be a good opportunity for us. And so low fit inbounds now um, all go through uh, a, an AI assistant. Uh, webinar follow-ups. Nobody follows up to webinars. Like we send them to sales. They're not doing it, guys. It's just not happening. So, you know, things like that that would sort of die on the vine otherwise yeah. um, uh, is a great use case. But then we also have licensed a product uh, on the more pure content side. We license a, a product called Writer. And, um, and I'm going to keep my content team, the same content team, but they've got to, you know, double their, their output. Um, and so they're using writer for a number of use cases, but kind of a fun one is where we acquire companies. And, um, if you've ever acquired a company, it's, it's painful and, and you got to cut all these assets over. Or they, or if you just take them off the internet, then you lose the search juice. But if you keep them up, then it's this other brand and it's not in your voice and tone. And so you're always having this like hem-haw with like, what do we do with all this old stuff, right? Yeah. So we gave Ryder 100 blogs. We acquired a company called Slintel. We gave them 100 blogs from Slintel and we had trained it on our voice, our tone, our messaging. And in 100 minutes, it converted 100 blogs. So things like that are just... 
pretty darn amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, you know, my team has a BHAG that, um, that they pretty much have to use. I mean, I've said head counts flat. We still have to grow at, you know, 80% this year. So figure it out. Um, and each team has their own kind of work streams on, on how they they plan to use generative to meet those expectations. One more bonus question for you here that, um, I, it triggered as you were talking through it. I'm just kind of curious in your, in your mind, um, the significance of generative AI stack rank it for me relative to some of the other big trends we've observed, whether it's, you know, formation of the World Wide web, whether it's packaged software, ERP, CRM, whether it's cloud, whether it's mobile, social, kind of where would you place it in the pecking order of those big paradigm shifts? I think it's too early days to tell. Um, but I think we all know it's probably as, are feeling like it's probably as significant as cloud. Um, and and I, I think it's going to become one of those things where it's like, you don't talk, like, it's not like, like at first it was like, oh, workday, we're cloud. And that's what makes us different. And now it's like, okay, everyone's cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's going to quickly get to the place where it's like, well, of course you don't have, like, of course you have generative AI in your, in your product yeah. somehow, some way versus we are a generative AI product. Um so I think we're in that we are a generative AI product. Yay, yay, yay. And then I think it will become, you know, just sort of weird if you're not. Um, and you just got to hope that the architecture of your product um, enables it, you know, and and is built so to, to be able to start to enable it. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, it, it I haven't even really got my mind around like the implications for from as a marketer around search and all the things we do around SEO. And cause it's not really search. You don't land on a page now. You just get, you know, so, so like we're, right. you know, but I think that that's like anything we'll, we'll just figure it out one day at a time. Well, I love your perspective. Um, Latney, thank you for joining us today. We loved having you on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and you can learn more about Atrium at atrium.ai.